Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Venezuelan-born veteran jazz pianist Edward Simon. He just released a new 2021 CD called Solo Live that happens to be his 15th album as a leader. It was recorded at Oakland's Piedmont Piano Company on his 50th birthday back in 2019. This musician has been at the center of the jazz scene for the past quarter century, shaping the music's evolution through a series of seminal ensembles and recordings. He was a young sideman in the band's led by Bobby Watson, Greg Osby, and Terrence Blanchard. He's got some great mileage and stories to back it up. Enjoy. Thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Of course. Yes, my pleasure. You've been on my radar for some time. I really enjoyed the double disc last year and the solo live. This has been uh, quite refreshing and good during this uh, pandemic time on planet Earth. Yeah. <laughs> With that being said, what does it feel like to be able to put out an album that you're going to actually be able to promote and do some live gigs with? Well, it's, I'll tell you, it, it's really very invigorating to play for a live audience again after all this time of quarantine. I could never really get used to playing streaming concerts where you're playing to an empty house, but you know there's some people in the other end somewhere listening, but you can't feel those people. Playing to a live audience is just such a joy and, and really a privilege. So I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to uh, performing solo piano to live audiences uh, soon and, and promoting this record. So is everything opening up on your end? Is your itinerary starting to open up and look like maybe it was kind of like the way it was back in March of 2020? Uh, it's gradually moving in that direction, yeah. It's not quite what it was like um, before um, the lockdown, <clears throat> um, but it's gradually moving in that direction. So it's very encouraging. So, you know, during this lockdown quarantine, you know, everything obviously came to a grinding halt. It was a time of self-reflection for a lot of us. And I'm curious with you, what did you learn about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before that's going to make you stronger as you reemerge with the new album and hit the stage again? Um, well, I learned a few things. You know, one of them was I, I had been wanting to put more focus on my solo piano playing for quite some time, I put more energy in that direction. And the quarantine provided an opportunity for me to do that. It was not a bad time to be a pianist during the pandemic because piano is an instrument that lends itself to solo performances, for one thing. Uh, and two, you know, I was receiving a lot of invitations from presenters to record, either pre-record concerts at homes or at different venues that would later be broadcasted for festivals that were completely online or, or just a series of concerts that were online-based. So it was really a good time to be a pianist, I have to say. You know, most of the instrumentalists that you would see doing these types of events were either pianists or guitarists for the most part. I mean, there were others as well, but, you know, piano and guitar are instruments that really lend themselves well for that kind of format. And with that came a time of learning about how to put together a, uh, produce a well, you know, home recording, uh, learning how to use software, uh, getting the right gear, you know, how to stream a concert, and, and 
you know, all of those things. Uh, how you having a, a, a decent instrument to perform on, or you know, lighting. <laughs> and frankly, there have there have been musicians who have been doing this before the pandemic, but I have always been a touring musician all my life. And uh, for the first time, I had to really start to devote some energy learning about how you can actually produce a nice sounding recording or live streaming concert, uh, either from home or from from a venue near you, and how to incorporate that as part of your overall echoes, you know, of, of performance offerings. I think that some element of that is going to remain when things open up. I'm already starting to see that a lot of the presenting venues are offering their concerts for both live audiences and and streaming, and uh, they each have their, their benefits. You know, I mean, there's nothing replaces, nothing ever will replace the experience of a live performance, both for the audience and the performer. Streaming does offer uh, the opportunity to have your uh, a music be heard and or viewed or seen by people anyone in, in anywhere on a planet that is connected to the internet and you know in a way nothing beats that as well so it, it really does provide a, another set of, of of opportunities for the artists and and venues so you recorded this latest CD on your 50th birthday in 2019 and i think You've been at this for a long time. You're a testament to longevity. How do you continue to, to, to go with the pace you go and remain, you know, evolving and relevant in the world of jazz? Huh. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think the most important thing for any, any performing artist to stay thriving in the scene and well is to is to and relevant as you say is to cultivate continuously cultivate you know your curiosity right just keep yourself curious about what's what's happening today and how to continue to uh, respond to the things that are happening around you and and adapt you know i mean i, I think uh, adaptability is probably one of the things that one of the biggest lessons we've learned from this pandemic. And, you know, businesses, artists, everyone has learned, has had to learn how to pivot in some way. Um, as, an, as an artist, if you can maintain that curiosity alive, you will always continue to, to grow and change with the time because change is inevitable. So you have to, you have to go along with it or else you, you will be uh, left behind, I guess. Absolutely. So let's go back to your beginnings in Venezuela and talk to me a little bit about how your path became music, and more specifically jazz. Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I'm from Venezuela. I grew up there mostly listening or playing uh, Latin American music, uh, all of the various uh, genres from the uh, Caribbean like salsa, bolero, cumbia, son, rumba, uh, and also music from uh, the southern countries south of Venezuela, like Argentina and Brazil. And I didn't really discover jazz until later. Well, I should say, you know, around age 10 or 11. I guess that's not 
at my very late. I first heard Trace of Jazz through the music of bands like Irakere, who uh, is uh, the Cuban band that mixes, you know, Afro-Cuban music with uh, jazz improvisation and, and even some classical music and folkloric music, folkloric Cuban music. So bands like that, and, and then later uh, in New York, uh, you know, bands like uh, Fort Apache was very influential uh, in terms of how to combine both languages. But I discovered jazz in its purest form when I first heard a, um, a video recording of uh, a celebration at the White House that had performances by Stan Getz Quartet and D.C. Gillespie. And at the time, uh, you know, with Stan uh, was um, Chick Corea and, um, you know, I think it was the band with Chick and Lenny, Lenny White, <clears throat> excuse me, but in this particular performance uh, at the White House, Chick played with his trio with Miroslav and Roy Haynes. So it was really that first performance that I heard that really was um, the first time I heard jazz in its purest form, and that really opened my ears to it, and I made me decide that that's a music I wanted to pursue. So was it always a dream to come to America? Not, not, not really. It was just that I had uh, moved here first when I was 10 years old because my sister was pursuing her college education, and my family, uh, my mom didn't want for her to come on, on her own, so uh, if my mom came along, it meant that myself or my little brother had to come as well. So we all moved here uh, in 82, you know, lived uh, in Oklahoma, actually, for a couple of years. Then uh, that was the first time that I ever had taken music lessons, formal music lessons, when I lived in Oklahoma. Then I moved back to my hometown, and my father really, you know, supported my music studies and, and saw how much progress I had made in those two years and uh, really felt like, uh, you know, if I, I come from a small town in Venezuela, so if, if I had stayed there, he knew that I probably would not have done very much with my music. So he was he was the one that had a really strong, strong vision and, and sent me to a high school of arts uh, in Philadelphia to continue my music studies in high school, and I graduated high school in 86 and continued on to um, study music at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and later the Manhattan School of Music. Even though I was a classical major at the time, I, I was already very clear that jazz was what I wanted to be playing. I was involved in the jazz ensembles at this university at the school. So that's sort of how I ended up in the, uh, uh, in the United States. So, you know, obviously the United States has, it's a hotbed of jazz activity. When you got here and you had the chance to see a live show, what was the first live show that you saw here that blew you away? Wow, that's a really, uh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I can uh, pinpoint the first live show that I might have seen here. You know, I moved to Philadelphia when I was 15 to study at a high school of arts there. And... I started attending local uh, concerts uh, by local artists. You know, Philadelphia is definitely a, a great jazz town. 
you know, some of the artists uh, that I got to hear and later play with uh, were Charles Fambro, who had moved back to Philadelphia. He's originally from that area and uh, played with the Messengers and had moved back to Philly. Um, I met him and, you know, we both had uh, similar interests. And so I started to, to, to play with him uh, because he wanted to learn more about Latin music. And I was interested in learning about jazz and swing. Uh, so we started playing a lot together, and it was through him that I started to meet other artists like Bobby Watson, Kevin Eubanks, and Greg Osby, who would later hire me. Um, but, you know, I can't pinpoint any specific one concert that was, uh, blew me away. I do, I do remember the first time I heard, uh, you know, uh, uh, once again, Chick came through Philly with the electric band and um, I got to go hear that concert in Philadelphia. I forgot the name of the venue now where they performed, but it was really, really, really incredible. Uh, totally blew me away. I also remember hearing the Pat Metheny group uh, live and that also was a concert that had a tremendous impact on him and his music has been very influential um, ever since. So, you know, every day you wake up, you're a professional musician. You get to create. What's the greatest part of this process for you? There's a couple of uh, points when it's really kind of highlight points in the process. You know, I'm, I'm into everything from composing, writing, conceiving projects to performing live music and recording, producing recordings. You know, I enjoy all of those aspects of the creative process. You know, usually uh, there's two points when it's really highlight for me. is when the first time you get your music played by live musicians, you know, when you're first rehearsing it uh, by, you know, if, if you have the great fortune of, of playing with great musicians, having your music played by, by great musicians is just such a, such a joy and such a uh, uplifting experience. Uh, it's really, it's really hard to describe. I remember the first time that I wrote an arrangement for a big band back in college, you know, and they played it, and I was there at the rehearsal, and I, I you know, I was so excited that I, I could, I had this nervous laugh, you know, I could hardly stop laughing, <laughs> and it was. Um, you know, it was just such a, so much joy contained inside. I, I didn't know any other way to let it out, you know. But that's always a great part of the process for me is when you have your music. You know, compositions are like little babies that you're conceiving, you're nurturing through time. And the first time you get to actually hear it played by a live musician, it's just a tremendous joy. And then the other moment when it comes full circle is when you get to play it to a live audience and when they and and you know hearing what how they respond to it you know if they get it they enjoy it as well then that to me is like the, the the circle is complete so those those two points are usually highlights for me so as the world wakes up and returns to live music what do you hope we all collectively, audience and musician, realizes about this long time away from live events and entertainment? 
you know, I, I hope people will realize that, um, you know, the arts, particularly the performing arts, is it's something that we all really depend on to live a fuller, richer life and to be inspired by. And, you know, for, for, for some of us, uh, music is, is as important as, as food. You know, it's just a way to feed your, your soul. Uh, it goes, talks directly to your soul, to your soul, music. I hope that uh, people will realize, and I think that they have after this quarantine time, how important it is for us to have great music and great art around us in, in you know, in a physical space where we can actually enjoy it and be part of the part of the process, part of the experience. So everyone has a, per, a, a perception or a version of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you're the one that's living your life. You have a perception of you. Who do you think you are? Huh. That's a big, that's a really big question. <laughs> you know, um, when, when we ask that question, most people are going to, I think most of us give an answer that really relates to all of the things that, that define us. Um, you know, where we're born, our culture, our heritage, um, our uh, name, of course, uh, our jobs, and um, our families, and and you know those those are the things that yeah define us in the in this uh, physical realm. You know, you know, if we look deeper, if we're going to drop all of that away. That's the question that I'm continually uh, looking to discover. You know, what's left after all of that is. It's no longer there because all of that is continually changing. You know, when, when all of that drops away, you, you know, I don't know, what's left is probably just pure, um, pure consciousness, you know. It's, and as I grow older, I want to try and be more and more in touch with that because uh, all of these other things, they, they, they change over time, you know. And even though I... I see myself uh, as a creative artist, you know, and and uh, father and husband. I uh, think first and foremost, I wanna uh, I wanna be a a good human being and and bring joy and happiness into others others other people's lives. So I think I see myself more as a as a messenger. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Hey, Edward, man, it's, it's great to catch up with you. Thank you for the music. Thank you for taking a minute out for the show. And good luck with everything as we move forward. Yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the time, Joe. And the same to you. I wish you much health and music and enjoyment. <laughs> Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Venezuela, Philadelphia, Oakland, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Edward for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
Leon Jez.